You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Who do you think you are? That's the question. That's the sermon title today. Who do you think you are? That question is identity changing, life altering, eternity affecting. How would you describe yourself? How do you see yourself? How do you perceive yourself? In mainstream popular psychology, they talk a a lot about self-esteem and self-image. That's still the language of identity. What's your identity? Who do you think you are? How you answer that question is important because you see it's the only thing that, that changes everything. Because once you know who you are, you know what to do. So how would you complete this statement? I am blank. I am rich. I am poor. I am young. I am old. I am smart. I am stupid. I am loved. I am hated. I am single. I am married. I am divorced. I am successful. I am a failure. I am hopeful. I am hopeless. Who do you think you are? How do you see yourself? We're going to spend several weeks answering that question. It's a question that we ask many times consciously, many times not. Sometimes the answer is provided to us by others. It starts when you're little. What was your identity in your family of origin? Then what were some of the names that were given to you? Did you have a good nickname, a bad nickname? How did they see you? And subsequently, how did it make you see yourself? As we continued forward in life, we hit the teen years, and then it becomes incredibly complicated. All of a sudden, you have a new school and new relationships and new authorities, new responsibilities, and all of these are giving input into who you are, or at least who they think you should be. So all of a sudden, clothes become more important than ever. Hair care, hair products, uh, how you see yourself, how you measure up to others. You hit college. You may go away from family and friends and church and community, the, the people you know. And you get to start fresh, or at least that's what you think. So you make decisions on your own about your wardrobe. How will I look? And about your lifestyle, will I get involved in certain activities? What degree will I pursue? What life course will I put myself on? Who am I and who will I be? You graduate and then it's an identity crisis. You're now supposed to be an adult, but you're not prepared for those responsibilities. Will I get a job? Where will I work? Will I make enough money? What will I drive? How will I pay the bills? Will I be in a relationship? And then perhaps one day you get your career job and you know how to define yourself now. As long as you can make it successfully in that career path, that's who you are. That's going to define me. And then you get married. And all of a sudden your identity gets very conflicted. You thought you were marrying them so they could help you be what you're supposed to be 
come to find out, they were marrying for the same reason. And suddenly, two selfish people with separate identities collide. We call that marriage. Now it's who are we? What's our identity? And then you have children, and your identity totally changes. And for the woman, it starts with a change in her appearance, which has a lot to do with her identity. Now she's showing and feeling different, and she's turning into a mother, a whole new identity. And for the man, he feels the weight of that, or he should, because he's becoming a father. And now that child becomes the center around which the family orbits. They tell you when you can eat, when you can sleep, and what kind of vehicle you're going to drive. Many husbands have to wrestle with this in their minds, and they start to question, well, will I drive a truck because I'm a man? Will I drive an SUV because I'm a man with a family? Will I drive a minivan because I used to be a man before I had a family? And because of this child and these children, your hobbies... Your friendships, your free time, all the things that defined who you were are gone or have changed in some fashion. And you got to be careful because as you get older, these same children are going to make decisions for you and what to do with you. Then your kids get older. They don't need you so much anymore. Maybe they start to move away from home. Maybe you start to get into that that empty nest season of life. And if you haven't been careful with your marriage and the foundation upon which you're building your life, your identity is shaken. Who am I? Who are we? What's the center of our world now? We used to hold the marriage together and make money and go to church for the sake of the kids, but they're gone. Who are we? What are we doing? Sometimes then it comes crashing into divorce because there's nothing holding us together anymore. Or you're widowed. You're alone. Your identity is in crisis and chaos. Do you feel that? Who do you think you are? How do you fill in this statement? I am blank. Well, let me ask a different question. Who does God say that you are? And we're going to begin to get an answer to that by turning to Genesis, the first book in the Bible. Genesis means beginnings, by the way. So it's very appropriate that we go to the book of the Bible that's about beginnings. It's about the beginning of everything except God, of course, because he is the creator of all things. And here. In Genesis, we find the beginning of our identity. Here's what the Bible has to say. This is Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us. So now we have uh, the first allusion in the Bible to the Trinity. One God and three persons. Let us make mankind. The Hebrew word there for mankind is Adam. Adam, it's mankind, humankind, men and women. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. That's identity language. Who are you? God says, I made you 
in my image and likeness. That's your identity. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. There's that identity language again. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Who does God say that you are? Four things. Number one, you are a revelation receiver. The God of the Bible is Trinitarian. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are referred to in the us and our. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. That's the Trinity. So God in his eternal nature, in his eternal essence, is a community of love and affection and communication. This is mind-blowing stuff. It means that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have been communicating with one another forever. And they made us in their image and likeness and they made us to be revelation receivers. They speak to us. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit do. God speaks to us. Now here's the good news. That means that you don't have to determine or decide your identity. God has chosen to reveal it to you. God has, in his kindness, chosen to speak to you. So what that means is you don't need the speculation of of philosophy and religion. You need the revelation of God. You need God to tell you who you are, and you need God to tell you who he is. You need to know both, who God is, who you are, and the Bible provides both. Here it tells us who God is. He is the creator of everything, and it tells us who we are. So more of who you are, you are a revelation receiver. That God speaks to you primarily and authoritatively through Scripture. And so I strongly encourage you to get into this year, into God's Word. Let God's Word get in you because you were created as a revelation receiver that God wants to pour into you through Scripture what He has to say. And He wants to hear from you through prayer. The second thing we see in this passage is that you are humbly honored. I want you to see that there is a God and there is lower creation. It's what Melanie was starting to talk about in the children's sermon. That there are beasts of the field and birds of the air and fish of the sea. And in between God and lower creation is us. So this means that we are below God, but we are above animals. Now, anytime you are trying to understand your identity, but you don't use the Bible as a reference, it becomes tragic. One of two things happen. Either we become people who are thinking too much of ourselves. We believe we're almost like God. 
almost divine that somehow we are equal to God, alongside of God, a part of God. And if not, we will reincarnate and get rid of our karmic debt so we can go toward divinity. On the flip side, there are those who say we are nothing more than highly evolved animals. We're just lucky that we've got thumbs. That's all we are. We're just like the the, the luckiest of all the lower creation. But that's thinking too little of ourselves. Humility, the root of which means to know your place, is to know that your place is under God but above lower creation. You're not an animal. You have dominion over them as God's image bearer. You're also not God. He created you. You are here by his divine design. So number one, you are a revelation receiver. Number two, you are humbly honored. And number three, in what God says about you and who you are, you are made to mirror. When he says that we are made in his image and his likeness, those two words are essentially synonymous. Think of the images in your life. For most of us, when we get up out of bed, one of the first things we do is look in a mirror. And when we're finished screaming at the depiction there, we realize that what we are seeing is a reflection of who we are. It's our image. It's our likeness in that mirror in front of us. It is showing us, revealing us who we are. And what God is saying is that though he is spirit... He wants his attributes to be visible on earth. He wants creation to know something about him. He made you as his mirrors. You are to mirror. And so God is loving. And when you love, you are reflecting God's love. And God is truthful. And when you tell the truth, you are reflecting his truthfulness. And God is forgiving. And when you forgive, you are reflecting his grace and mercy. God is generous. And when you are generous, you're reflecting his generosity. And so your life is to be one of mirroring. It doesn't begin with you. It's it's all about God. The goal is not for the world to know you. It's for the world to know him. We are not the objects he is. And we are to reflect, to mirror, to show, to echo something of God's attributes to the world. And what that means is that all the glory goes to him. So if someone were to say to you, well, that was so loving of you, you could say something in effect of, well, thank you, but I loved you with God's love. If someone were to say, that was very generous of you, well, I gave because God had given me. If someone were to say to you, that was so truthful of you, you could say something along the lines of, well, that's because God is the one who tells the truth and I'm just trying to serve him. What that allows is us to have this courageous humility, to be bold, to be generous and loving and truthful. Not asking, what will this make me look like? But instead asking, how will this rightly or wrongly reflect God? 
Do you see the difference? In so many of our identity decisions, they're about how will this make me look? That's the wrong question. How could they see God? That's the right question. How could I reflect who God is in this moment? It means reflecting, imaging, mirroring, showing to some limited, fallen, imperfect degree, God. We're showing him off. We're showing his worth. And number four, you are blessed to be a blessing. What it says here in Genesis is that God blessed them. What it doesn't say is that they did anything to deserve that blessing. They hadn't done anything yet. Adam and Eve at this point had done nothing. He just blessed them. They didn't earn his blessing. In fact, it wouldn't be grace if they had to earn it. God blessed them. What this means is that God was actively loving them with a father's affection. So many of us have this convoluted view of God that we've got to make him bless us. We've got to manipulate him to bless us. We've got to do something good in order for him to bless us. Ours is a God who likes to bless his children. Ours is a God who is filled with grace and love and mercy and in an infinitely perfect way, far superior to mine. Our God loves his kids. Look, I, I love my kids. My heart, uh, in my heart, I love them dearly. But God is a perfect father with limitless resources and he blesses with a father's affection. So you are blessed to be a blessing. God is going to bless Adam and Eve so they can bless their family. They can bless the world around them. Friends, we are blessed to be a blessing. Whatever God teaches you is so that you can teach others. Whatever God gives you is so that you can give to others. Whatever God does for you is so that you can do for others. We are not the objects of worship, but we are to mirror the character and attributes of God so that others will worship him. Now, there are a couple things I, I want to say about this. Number one, your identity is received. It's not achieved. Adam and Eve did nothing to obtain their identity. God made them. God spoke to them. God defined them. God blessed them. It was all God. Your identity is not achieved. It's received. It's not something you do. It's something God does. It's not what you earn. It's what he gives. And once you understand that, you know what that does? It frees you up from the performance trap. It frees you up from the competition trap. It frees you from having to uh, be bitter and, and jealous and, and covet that marks our world. It lets you be who God created you to be. And, and number two is this. You are not more valuable than anyone else, but you're also not less valuable than anyone else. All people bear the image and likeness of God. Male and female. Young and old. Black and white. Rich and poor. First world. Third world. Unborn. Those who are born 
healthy, sick. It's why we as Christians are the only group that has a consistent world view that shows the dignity of everyone. All are made in the image and likeness of God. All have worth and dignity and value. One of the great lies is that some people are more valuable than others. So let me say this. Your self-worth has nothing to do with your net worth. Finally, I want to help you understand your identity crisis, your identity idol. Many of you didn't even know you had an identity idol until there's a crisis. So it goes like this. You live in fear that your identity idol will fail you or be taken away from you. If I can just find a husband or wife, if I could just have a kid, if I could just finish college, if I could just get a job, if I could just get a job with benefits, if we could just get a house, if we can pay off all this debt, then we'd be there, heaven on earth. But you know what? It's uncertain. It's tenuous, it could fail, it might not happen. If it does, it might get taken away and all that just brings on more stress and anxiety. And your identity idol crumbles under the weight of being in God's place in your life. All I wanted was my spouse to never leave me nor forsake me. Guess what? That's Jesus' job description. All I wanted for to have kids that are like little trophies that, that love me, carry around my name, and bring glory to me on earth. That's idolatry. I just want a job that, that pays well enough for income and security to get the things that I want to get. Is there anything wrong with that? All good things in God's place will invariably fail. Your spouse your kids, your job, your beauty, your health, your church. It all starts to crumble under the weight of, can you just be my God? And as your identity idol begins to crumble, you become panicked. Your marriage isn't doing well. We're getting older. I'm not as beautiful as I once was. (laughs) I put on extra weight. I said to Lori, you know, I'm just getting back to my playing weight from high school. She said, you are in the band. Our kids are leaving home. Our company is downsizing. I used to have it all together. Now I feel like I'm out of control. And when your identity idol fails, and it will, you look for someone to blame. For some, it's self-centered contempt. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I should have been able to to hang on to that job. I should have been able to hang on to that relationship. People don't even want to be around me. God must be punishing me, and I'm sure I deserved it. I'm a failure. I'm a terrible person. For some, it's others-centered contempt. You failed me. You abandoned me. You betrayed me. You hurt me. You ruined my life. Look what mess you've made of my life. And if it's not one of those two, then it may become God-centered 
contempt. You said you loved me. You said you'd fix it. You said you'd change. I've read the scriptures. I know what you say. You don't do what you say you do. Have you ever been there? Are you there? You have two options. The first is to turn to Jesus Christ for a new eternal identity. You say, Jesus, my life is nothing but idolatry. Who you are and who I am are not right in my life. It's not working. It won't work. But it's not too late. You say, Jesus, I invite you to forgive my sin that I know is there. I invite you to make me new. I realize that God made me, that you, Jesus, saved me. And that you and me together, Jesus, we can get through. You can get me through whatever I need to get through. Because I have you. And my identity is in you. And my hope is in you. The second option, and this is not what God wants for you, is that you simply pick out another identity idol. Friends, only in Jesus Christ is there a new life for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've come that we might have new life and have it to the full. We are new creations in you. We are new people with new identities, new purpose, new sense of worship. No, our life is not pain and suffering free. But our identity can be pain and suffering proof. That is, it can be secure. So that whatever circumstances we find ourselves in might be to your glory. That we still worship and reflect the goodness of a God who loves us. Thank you for who you are. For who you made us to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.